0: Hey everybody, this episode is brought to you by Lift Big, Eat Big's new workout program, The Phalanx Method. Coach, powerlifter, strongman, and historian, Brandon Morrison, took a unique approach in his creation to this three-block, six-month-long effort. Using ancient sources and modern techniques, he was able to recreate the training of one of history's most destructive military forces, the Phalanx. And it's not just the sales line either. This is only three days a week in the gym and it's brutal. I've uh, competed in powerlifting CrossFit and spent way too much time doing brutal Army PT. And this is the hardest thing I've ever done before. And uh, you can do it at a commercial gym or like me from your garage. Uh, He also includes little historical tidbits every week to keep you interested and to keep you hooked. If you want to challenge yourself or just try something new... Go to www.LiftBigEatBig.com and enter the promo code DONKEY to get 15% off. The Phalanx Method. Are you ready to become a warrior of oak and bronze?
1: Good evening from Baghdad. One of the world's oldest cities has become one of the world's newest power centers. As soon as major hostilities broke out between the two oil producers, Iraq and Iran, we came here to Baghdad to watch OPEC at war. To look in particular at a regime seeking supremacy in the Gulf, and at its remarkable president, Saddam Hussein, one of the least known but most effective rulers in the Middle East. As the conflict between his country and Iran got underway earlier this year, it was Saddam Hussein who declared, whoever climbs over our fence, we shall climb over his roof.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe and I'm Nick. Returning with me today yes. is Nick for the last time in a
1: very long time. <laughs> yes. The next up ep- hopefully soon the next episode will be my chain of command. Yeah. It'll <laughs> be good. Some donkeys.
0: Uh yeah, so Nick will be this is Nick's last episode with us for about a month and a half. Um he's going to Japan. Yes. Uh which we found out about Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, surprise. Uh, it was great. Um, so today is the final episode of our Iran-Iraq series. Uh, it's a podcast arc that quickly spun out of control of my original three parts that I had planned. Uh, you know, I thought three episodes uh, was was good back when we covered the War of 1812. Uh, it was a pretty solid blueprint uh, for this arc going forward. Uh, but then I quickly realized that it was really dumb for thinking that a war that lasted nearly a decade and involved most of the goddamn world could be covered in three hours. Uh, that's that's my fault. There's a lot of shit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of shit we had to leave out. Uh, so here we are on part five. And I still had to cut out a ton of stuff along uh, putting aside the entire Iran Contra affair for a later date uh, and bringing in a specialist to talk about Iraq's weapons procurement program, which will be uh, the episode next week. Mm. Um, this one kind of got crazy. So what I'm saying is this is the last time I let our, vi- our listeners vote on a topic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you guys. Uh, you gave Nick and I uh, the opportunity to, day- to uh, daydream about Iraqi army wizards and allow me, yes. yeah, and allowed me to talk about electrocute an entire army with a weaponized swamp and uh, building a road out of corpses. Um, a lot I, of polls Yeah, I, 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 I actually I still stand by the fact that Corpse Road makes a pretty sweet black metal band name. Oh yeah, yeah. Corpse Road, Corpse Road, or like Corpse Highway. Corpse, and like uh, if they had like a side project, it would be like Corpse Off Ramp. Corpse off, <laughs> yeah. The behind the scenes, yeah, yeah. Behind the music, Corpse Off Ramp. Uh, anyway, uh, so the end of our last episode, we talked about the what became known as the Iranian Psalm, a pistachio farmer who destroyed his own army. Iranian cosplayers dressed up like the Imam Hussein leading charges on horseback, and the Iraqi army finally discovering the only thing they were good at was defending, um, though Iran was slowly overwhelming them from the north and the south. Uh, Massive casualties did nothing to disrupt the Iranian army, however. Much like our boy Luigi Cardona in the Kingdom of Italy, Iran attempted to make up for its myriad of weaknesses by constantly going on the attack, regardless of the outcome. Still human waves? Oh uh, well, you know they kept saying that we're gonna tone back the human waves, and I would hope so. But they didn't really. No, okay. I mean, their casualty levels are still catastrophic, so I don't know. Like they they attempted to move towards like small unit tactics, but like what's small unit to them? I, I would assume like normal infiltration tactics, but they had become so dependent on the human wave attacks that was really all they knew, and it didn't help. They had very limited armor. So they really had nothing else to fall back on, except they're just like, here's a whole bunch of meat. Yeah. Uh, uh, This totally undermined the Iranian own military effort of maintaining their heavy weapon systems, which they still could hardly repair, let alone replace. And since uh, dynamic offensives were over and the Iraqis were safely behind their massive entrenchments, the Iranians were no longer uh, able to capture large amounts of Iraqi vehicles and equipment, which was, kind of accidentally turned into the backbone of the Iranian uh, military effort at this point some per- surplus yeah like uh, you know they weren't un- unlike the iraqis they didn't have a blank check from anybody uh, to keep their war effort going uh, so when it came to heavy armor their best bet was capturing iraqi stuff and then kind of holding it together with no. duct tape uh and they also had some uh, in- indigenous uh, manufacturing plants to try to put out replacement parts but it's not like they had T seventy twos rolling off the assembly yeah. line or something. Um but you know, in the beginning of the war, when especially when Iraq invaded, they were capturing so much Iraqi shit because Iraq's ar- Iraq's army was trash. That, oh yeah. That it kept the Iranian war effort going for years. Learn that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their
1: cool equipment. Turns out they needed to actually like learn how to yeah, use yeah. it.
0: But they had the warrior spirit, man. Did they? Uh, that's what Saddam thought. <laughs> yeah. That's what Saddam thought. Uh, so while the Iranian corpses were piling up in front of them, the Iraqi army's footing was dire. Unlike the Iranians, they had a hard time replacing soldiers. And ever since the war started, they had uh, by far the worst commanders of the war. And that's like one um, common thing that you see among the historical narrative here is like the Iranians were hurting for everything, but they had better commanders. Uh, so they had to work with what they I, had. I feel like any, any commander would be better than any Iraqi commander they had some real fucking idiots what we've gone through yeah at the same time i mean iran also kind of disregarded a lot of their actually traditionally trained military scholars and officers that managed to survive the purge and then put an army in charge gave a pistachio farmer the the (laughs) charge of an army um and they came up the season must have been really bad for him to do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, he dabbled in theology, which Ooh. was apparently all you needed yeah. to get promoted within the government. Um uh, but you know, is I, I think the the concept of good commander uh can get alternative alternatively switched out with successful commander. And there's a lot of successful commanders that got really fucking lucky. And I mean, if uh, I, I don't think Iran would have been able to push iraq out of iranian territory like they did if the iraqis had anybody in com- anybody competent in charge oh yeah uh but they didn't and like, here we are <laughs> starting from the top <clears throat> oh yeah or maybe if maybe if saddam didn't want to be in charge of everything and let his military yeah. be a military i don't know uh but you know half their schooling was just talking about how cool saddam was so they they, they didn't have great minds this guy mustache cool as fuck yeah yeah solid mustache. shades um So, I mean, the the only thing Iraq really had going for them was um, like the rest of the world wanted Iran to lose. And that was a pretty strong trump card to have because it was like I talked about in the last episode where it was like, uh, Iraq was like that RPG boss that is scripted for you to lose to. <laughs> so like, no matter what you do, he won't die. Yeah. Cause he just keeps responding uh, like, you know, health bars or whatever. Cause the, the Iraqi military would have fallen apart in like 1981 if it wasn't for everybody else. <laughs> but now here we are like 1986, 87 he brings those asshole henchmen while you're fighting him. You got to fight them too. Yeah. And it's just a never ending wave of them because somebody wants you to lose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, all this, you know, that, that, Blank check and the, the the overt support of the Americans, the French, um, the Brazilians, everything else. Uh, that didn't stop the Iraqis from attacking an American frigate, however. What? Yeah. Uh, so the USS Stark. Uh, I'd attack that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Star Trek.
1: Stark. Oh, you said Stark. Yeah. Oh, I don't know why I heard Star Trek. Yeah. And I you haven't watched too.
0: Game of Thrones, so I can't make a Game no, of Thrones joke I here. I, I I I just can't even deal with you right now. Well, Star Trek—that's what I got from it. Star Trek. Uh, all right. So, uh, well, they they claim they attacked it on accident. Um, they attacked it with a modified business jet, armed with a French-made ex- Exocet anti-ship <laughs> missile. <laughs>
1: that's fucking awesome. So
0: this actually means so. Uh, uh, early in the war, uh, the Iraqi military and the Iraqi air force in general is pretty incompetent. Uh, they had really good jets, but really terrible pilots. And uh, later on in the war, uh, France actually agreed to train them better, like train their pilots to like survive twenty minutes in combat. And they also supplied them with Mirage jets, Exocet miss- missiles, and everything else. So this means that thirty-seven U.S. naval personnel were killed by a French missile out of a French jet by French-trained pilots. Nice <laughs> in a war that the United States was supplying weapons to as well. So this was like America. A, so this
1: was a business. It was a modified business jet. So this plays into my whole thing of taking your
0: land with a Cessna. I mean, it worked. I don't think you could strap an Exocet missile onto a Cessna. That's what you think. I don't know. Um, it's worth a shot, I guess. Um, I'm a pretty handy guy. Yeah. I mean, duct tape, some extra bolts, just, uh, just hang out the end of the window and just like kick the Exocet off. My dog off is the my wing. co-pilot. <laughs> That's not a good sign. That's a good sign. <laughs> uh, so, at first, the um, the Iraqis claimed the ship was in Iraqi waters, which was not true. Um, instead, it was actually two miles outside of Iraqi water borders. Mm. And, and even then, like Americans operated in Iraqi waters all the time uh, because they were helping the Iraqis. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, also, uh, the 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 ship was very clearly marked, and uh, it's a frigate. You're not going to confuse a a you know, battle frigate for virtually anything else. Um, later, Saddam apologized and claimed that the pilot mistook the ship for an oil tanker, um, which what? At, at least that makes sense in theory because they're blowing up oil tankers, but it doesn't make sense because it's a fucking frigate. Yeah. Um, he also reassured the Americans that he found the pilot and the pilot was executed for his actions. Other Iraqi Air Force officers point out that was in fact a lie and the officer was given an award. <laughs> Holy fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I couldn't find any, like, accounts of that pilot still being alive and, like, talking and stuff. Because, I mean, there's a good chance he got killed in, like, the other two wars that quickly followed this one. Probably. Or maybe even later in this one. Uh,
1: Yeah, maybe just after the award.
0: uh, Yeah, yeah. So, as dumb as the Iraqi military leaders were, they knew they were in trouble. But Saddam didn't. Unlike certain stupid former Iranian presidents, he never attempted the command from the front and only knew about the goings-on of the war from his, from military briefings. The generals were hoping things would stay uh, static long enough for them to figure everything out because they lied their asses off. Saddam was told the army was doing fine and the Iranian losses, already incredibly high, were so high the country was getting ready to collapse, just like they said it would almost a decade before. Oh, yeah, I, I don't feel like getting shot in the head. Right, and, uh, you know, it's funny because at the end of the war, when they're calculating uh, casualty totals, Iraq still claims they killed north of a million Iranians, which would have been some. Abs- Holy fuck. Which would have been some absurdly large percentage of the entire population and is definitely not true. And they, they did that same thing throughout the entire war. It's like, hey, look, we killed 600,000 Iranians in this offensive. Like, no, you didn't. That would be their entire army. Yeah. Uh, Holy shit. But they publish those numbers all the time and they're all obs- obscenely large, which is. Why it, it's actually really hard to find out how many people actually died, which we'll go over at the end of the episode. But. I'm sure that got Saddam hard. Oh, yeah. It, it was how he showed his uh, what limited success yeah. that he had is like, we're still here. And we're, I mean, even if he published the actual casualty totals, they would have been very high and made him look and, good. And honestly, I'm pretty sure he doesn't even know. Nobody really knows. I'm honestly sure. Like you said, you couldn't find any. Uh, well, I mean, there's numbers, but they fluctuate wildly. And they're still finding bodies today. Um, and also those bodies probably mix in pretty well with all the wars that have been going on in the region. Since. Yeah, so
1: I'm, I imagine the road didn't help since they're making roads with the body.
0: Yeah. Road corpse roads in the middle of a marsh probably definitely hurt numbers, yeah. uh, number calculations. Um,
1: I got a hand here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Iraqi leadership had no idea, uh, who was telling the truth and they actually ended up accidentally being kind of right. Um, the And the aftermath of Operation Karbala 5, which we nicknamed the Iranian Som, was actually a huge blow to the Iranian military and government. As such, the Iranian public actually became uh, incredibly war-weary. But the Ar- Iraqis had no idea about any of this. So they accidentally tripped back assward into telling the truth. Um, I mean, the, the, remember, this isn't that far from the the heady days of the revolution of men and women taking to the streets and casting aside the imperial yoke. Um it had been nearly a decade of very hard war, though. And think of how many uh, – think of how terrible those Iranian casualties were this whole time. Uh, so, like, that's been since day one, like, when the Iraqi stormed over the border. Yeah. Uh, the foot soldiers and main supporters of the original revolution, the leadership aside, were all pretty much dead. Uh, killed in the first – I mean, remember all the the, the really excited um, volunteers oh, rushing? Yeah. yeah, they're all fucking gone. Oh. They've been gone for years. <clears throat> Uh, And and if they survive, they're now officers because they're the last ones standing. That's how you know you fast-tracked. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to get promoted when everybody else is dead. (laughs) Uh, uh, Because of this, the hordes of volunteers uh, that Iranian tactics depended on kind of started to dry up. Um, Like the Iraqis, the Iranians ramped up their conscription numbers and further pissed off their population. Uh, Despite the fact that their conscription numbers were the highest they'd been all war, their military power actually dropped. They just didn't have the population. Like when they come out with um, with conscription numbers, they they would just tell a, a certain town, certain city, you need this many bodies. But well, there wasn't that many left. Like you, d- there just wasn't the population of military-aged men who could fight yeah. to that they wanted. And remember, and they burned through the majority of their military uh, militarily acceptable male population no matter how low their standards dropped. And remember, like, the, the boss siege and the Revolutionary uh, Guard Corps started off with people missing limbs and child soldiers and the elderly. Like, it already started pretty low.
1: You had a high school.
0: Yeah, and, and it burned through those. Um, this caused mass desertion within the regular army and the Guard, as well as a huge flight of any men who hadn't been cut up the draft of the surrounding countries, to include Iraq. A lot of uh, of Iranian dudes just ran to Kurdistan. What fuck? Yeah, (laughs) which ended up being a huge mistake, which we'll talk about. Uh, But yeah, because of this, Iran was totally unable to mobilize enough soldiers to launch a major offensive after their failure of Karbala Five. Didn't stop them from trying, but they they just didn't have the 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 material. And by material in Iran, I mean people, people, because that's really all they got. Yeah. Also, for the first time on either side of the war, massive anti-war demonstrations began to unfold within Iran, uh, which is really surprising because, I mean, you have to think the vast majority of the people who are in these demonstrations, I'm going to assume, kind of remembered what happened to the people that were protesting before the revolution. I would assume the same. Yeah. Uh, So a huge demonstration spread to nearly 100 Iranian cities, and soon soldiers joined in with them, just as the original revolution had a decade before. Uh, The Iranian government acted with the level head you would expect from a despotic theological dictatorship uh, that only a few years before I dragged counter-revolutionaries onto the street and murdered them. Revolutionary guardsmen were dispatched to machine gun people in the streets, killing untold dozens, if not hundreds of protesters. It is impossible to figure out actual numbers on this because the Iranian government is not talking about it. Um, I, I found numbers that said like 20. 20? 20 people. That's it. That's the only thing. But there's no way that's accurate because, I mean, 100 cities, the Revolutionary Guard who have just been... They're definitely people from the front. There's definitely more than 20 people down I would have met 100 cities. 100 cities. That's less than one dead person per city. Yeah. There's no way that's true. Uh, So going even further, Revolutionary Guards and policemen set up roadblocks at every intersection of every city and town looking for men who might be trying to flee the draft, which actually... Seems like a massive waste of manpower to me. Like if you just put does, all those yeah. dudes from the roadblocks at the front, you just made up a whole track like class. All, and yeah, you're, I feel like you're probably only catching like what a
1: handful of guys too. <sighs> Maybe even if even if that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, while Iran did not want to quit the war, they finally accepted that there would be no final victory towards Basra. Our wonderful pistachio farming friend Hashemi Rashashani who, uh, for reasons that escape me, had not been fired after leading what had been known as the Somme of Iran, did not get fired. He's probably cooking up good pistachios on the side. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Would you like some extra salt on those, Mr. Ayatollah? Um, He went on TV to announce that the Iranian people at human wave attacks would officially end, though that would be a lie again. Uh, the Iranians would instead hunker down and arm opposition groups within Iraq, mostly the Kurds in the north of the country who had already been helping them. Economically, both countries were in total shambles. Iran's oil output had slowed to a trickle due to the American Operation Earnest Will, which we talked about, I believe, in episode two, um, causing the countries who would have traded with Iran to stop because it's no longer worth the risk. Uh, due to their main cash source drying up, inflation shot up by over 50 percent and unemployment of the people who weren't at the front line, stopped clearing landmines for the Ayatollah, grew so large they simply stopped counting it. What? Yeah. Like, imagine your your unemployment rate is so high that the government's just like, oh, <laughs> fuck, a lot? <laughs> uh, the U.S. Navy also joined in active combat operations on the shot al-Arab against Iran, destroying any hope that the economy would ever get back on its feet. Um, there's actually one um, instance of uh, the American just strip sinking an Iranian frigate. Part four is a downer. oh Sorry, part five. Oh, it gets worse. Sweet. We haven't gotten to the genocide yet. Oh, there's the genocide. Oh, the yeah. Is uh, that the cherry on top or is there, are we still... I don't know. The, you know, you know. some of our episodes are... So for our new listeners, we which we've gotten quite a few uh, since I accidentally got Twitter famous that one time. Nice. Um, we have, used to have a saying. We don't use it so much anymore, but we call it pralines and dick. Yes. Where there's like... Someone will will do a lot of bad stuff, but they'll also have done like one good thing. So like, yeah, it's like eating an ice cream flavor called Pralines and Dick. And I feel like still the Dick would overpower the sweetness, but you also need <sighs> yeah. the saltiness
1: with the sweetness to bring out some pretty yeah. good sweetness. This you know? this
0: if the Ira- Iran Iraq War was an ice cream flavor, it's just all Dick. Yeah, it's all Dick all the way down. It's dicks all the way down. <laughs> you might have spilled like a a drop of ice cream. Maybe maybe. I don't even think if that, no, it's all dicks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it just gets worse. It's like I said on Twitter, it's like on our, on our Twitter account that, uh, if the Iran Iraq war had a tagline, it just wait, it gets worse <laughs> all yes. the way until it ends and then it gets worse again. Um, so Iraq had actually accumulated so much debt from their countless loans, uh, that the international part from their international partners, there was no hope of, uh, of paying any of them back. Do you think the magician tried to make them disappear? Alakazam. Fuck, we're still poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't go to uh, financial wizarding school. Um, mm. he, he, I see. Yeah, his major was in pulling rabbits out of the hat or also like just yeeting away other people's wands like in Harry Potter. Make this debt disappear. Uh, a rabbit. Yeah. So like, I'm just like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> forget about the debt. <laughs> Guys, we got another week. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Uh, they'd also taken so many casualties during the war. They ran out of workers to keep their country together and functioning. Like, you have to remember, like, it, it's kind of like, oh, uh, well, you know, World War II, where you got the home front, where yeah. women, the elderly, things like that are, are flooding. Everybody's hands on. Yeah, people are, the people who can't fight are in the factories. Well, that part had already passed, and then Saddam put all the people from the factories at war as well. They all Ooh, died. nice nice. Uh, so now there's really nothing. It's pretty much just a, a, a giant army that also has a country. Um. Kind of like America now. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so they uh, so their their economy had collapsed, and now they had no infrastructure. so their internal uh, even though people are just giving them billions and billions of dollars, it's not doing any good because they have no infrastructure. yeah. Um, that didn't stop Iraqis from carrying out civilian terror bombings within Iran, however. This time with uh, something called enhanced mustard gas. They called it like dust mustard gas. Enhanced. Yeah, like it, uh, apparently the particles were so fine that there was just no escaping it. It would cling to everything.
1: Uh, good thing the BBC didn't cover that.
0: Yeah, it was far more deadly than anything they'd ever used before. And uh, like you remember how I said, uh, their casualty rate right, slowly climbed upwards to damn near 80%. This is it. Yeah, 80% of people who were wounded by this particular mustard gas would die. Which is intense. Well, it's enhanced. Yeah, it's it's like mustard gas 2.0. I don't know. There's no good name for it. No, like, there is not. No, Nobody had a, an actual name for it other than like dust gas or like enhanced. I don't know. No. Like, mustard like, gas 2 electric boogaloo. That's what we're calling it. That's what we call like everything. We call everything, yeah. yeah. Uh, electric so, foopaloo. Uh, electric lung juice saloo. Iran and Iraq also had a Again, broken into another wave of what we called the War of the Cities. Uh, this one having the lovely nickname of the Scud Duel. Because both sides managed to get their hands on uh, tweaked Scud missiles that could fly. Tweaked. Yeah, well, um, they weren't manufactured this way. So, Scud missiles are manufactured all throughout the Middle East, Russia, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then they sent them to third-party countries to make them fly further. So, you got jailbroken missiles. That's right. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're also made by Apple. Hmm to be some shit. Yeah. The iScud.
1: <laughs> Platform comes separate.
0: Yeah, it's just like a smooth piece <laughs> of like white metal but there's no like it's so f- far evolved past the point of reverence there's nowhere to actually plug in the fuel. Yeah. So it just sits there and be useless like an iPhone. Uh, mine's done pretty well. Do you Dick. have the one Do you have the one where you can't plug in headphones anymore? Yes, and uh, I hate it. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Now they're going to sell them right back to you. Yeah, I know. Uh, so... Uh, both sides launch hundreds and hundreds of Scud missiles at one another. Now, if you don't know a lot about Scud missiles, one, welcome to being normal. Two, uh, you should know that they're not that far removed from the like the the vengeance missiles of World War II. They're pretty much just Jesus. giant dumb missiles. Like they they have some kind of targeting system on there, but we're not talking about cruise missiles here. So the first time I heard of Scud
1: missiles was on what's that movie? Bravo Two Zero. Oh, yes.
0: God. Uh, That's where most people heard of scuds for the first time was the Gulf War. Yeah. uh, Or things related to the Gulf War. Um, They're not. I mean, now, Saddam did modify them to carry chemical weapons, which is awful. Uh, But it's a lot like um, an unscientific comparison here would be like the rail guns that uh, Germany likes to use. Yeah. They're like really scary in theory, but you can't fucking aim the goddamn things. You just kind of aim it towards the city and let it fly. (laughs) Hope it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Norton bomb site where it's like, I hit it within those (laughs)
1: fucking things. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I hit within
0: 10 miles. I win. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, That's, I hope we can cover the early. oh, Oh yeah. One day. That's one day. One day. Uh, so rather than the accurate bombardment of any enemy infrastructure, which would be like the dream of using these things you know, in total war, civilian terror bombings, you want to destroy how they're making war. Uh, it was more like those scenes from like an old Western or like we're both playing Red Dead Redemption two right now. So it's like two drunken cowboys firing their pistols wildly into the air and then running as the bullets come back yeah. down. No one really understands what they're playing with. Red Dead's making me watch a lot of Western movies, though. Unforgiven's the only good one. Tombstone was good. Tombstone is good. I stand corrected. Three Ten to Yuma was good. <sighs> I don't like Ethan Hawke. Really? Yeah. He's got a yeah. weird face. It's Ethan Hawke, it? right? Or is it Christian Bale? I Christian get, Bale. Christian I get those two confused go. all the time. No. Yeah, is that the, the only reason? Just weird face.
1: If he's not Batman, I don't give a fuck. You can. Uh, yeah. There's no getting around it. So. No.
0: It, now Three Ten to Yuma with Batman, I'd watch that. That's That'd a movie be I would fucking watch.
1: Fucking weird. Yeah. Instead of like. Futuristic gadget. What you like doing, w- cowpoke? Wooden gadgets, <laughs> <laughs> fucking battering. Yeah, made out of cow
0: bones. I don't know. He did have cows in. So yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh so back to reality, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so for the first time of the war, uh, Iraq was given a wonderful gift from the United States of America in the form of laser-guided bombs. Uh, this would actually be interesting. Uh so remember, we're talking about like late eighties here. What's not far from Right now, the period of time we're talking in, what's not far? Yeah, there's a lot of things not far. Gulf War, mostly. Yeah. Uh, okay. What, what it, you know, and one of the major things from the Gulf War is look at all these smart munitions. <laughs> like, even though like they still dropped more dumb bombs than smart munitions, but that was like the propaganda thing. The the videos from everywhere was watches this one bomb lands pre- directly on target. Well, guess where they tested them? They gave them to Iraq. Really? <laughs> yes. Holy fuck! <laughs> and then they tweaked them later on when they found out their
1: weaknesses. So they gave train, they trained Iraq on these, right? Training is a strong word. That's okay. Cool. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So they, they didn't, don't.
0: They didn't really train Iraq on much. They sent <laughs> some shit and said, "Here's a manual." Right, right. It'd be like, it's like if you gave an AK-47 to like an eight-year-old child soldier, he'll figure it out in general, one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 it works. It could work better, but it works. Yeah. Um, I just want to know how they tweaked it. Oh, they fixed the bomb? Well, tweaked because... Well, well, um, I, I couldn't find a whole lot because the CIA still has a lot of uh, classified shit on the war, Dicks. as you can imagine. Um, but, I mean, they had years to work on the bomb in between uh, from when they first gave it to them. And I imagine they, they really liked to see how accurate they were and then fuck with the computers. Because, I mean, you, remember we talked about in the second episode... Iraq's getting all their targeting data from us from satellite imagery. So, uh, the, the combination of satellite imagery with smart bombs is, is new. This is the first time it's ever happened. So Iraq was used as a test ground to later bomb Iraq. Mm. Time is a flat circle. It turns out, Uh, (laughs) this is weird. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty common for the, it gets weirder, but yeah, it gets worse too. Oh yeah. I imagine. Yeah. It's all dicks. Um, Nope, really. So uh, for the first time, also Iraq had the ability to strictly target Iranian infrastructure because even though they weren't really well trained on the laser guided bombs, it's hard to fuck that up. They could actually attack Iranian infrastructure with that. Um, so they 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 hurt it so bad that um, the Iranian the Iranian uh, weapons manufacturing was already pretty much at crippled, but they almost killed it entirely. So it, I mean, this whole time Iran has been teetering and. This is one of those weapons that if it had been given to him five years before, I don't know if they existed five years before, but Iran probably would have lost by now. Um, So
1: uh, you would say Iraq was pretty accurate with them, pretty good with them? Accurate enough. Enough. Okay. For
0: this theater, absolutely. For like propaganda purposes, no. They were still bombing neighborhoods and shit. <laughs> well, I imagine Saddam was like, whatever. Yeah. And Saddam doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, I know. Uh, so unsure what to do to counter the Iraqis. The Iranians again went on the offensive. Uh, this time with Operation Zafar Seven, and it was to seven. F- seven. Um, now there were I couldn't find a whole lot of details on Zafar One through Six, mind you. I wondered if they just picked it for the name. Like so they have a lot it of rolls strange off names. The tongue better seven. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this time it was the further their goals in Iraqi Kurdistan. Uh, their goal was to capture the. Uh, Dar Bandy Khan Dam, uh, which still exists today and uh, was on the news pretty recently for b- nearly being leveled by an earthquake. And uh, I know what you're saying. Why do they build a dam on a fault line? You're not supposed to do that. Um, well, it, it turns out it's pretty much half-assed and it's a giant architectural <laughs> I <feel> nightmare. <laughs> I feel like this whole war has been half-assed along with... Oh, the the, like, the the dam was built in the 50s. Holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still standing, which is like surprises pretty much everybody in 2018 the fifties. Yeah. But also, um, the, the dam controlled a lot of the electrical power grid, uh, for the entirety of Northern Iraq. Yeah. So if the, if the Iranians captured it, they could make life a living hell for Iraq. Um, so, Iran knew that the Kurdish forces, even combined with their own, would not be able to hold on to to territory uh, very long. Instead, they were just using it to improve their position for future peace talks or a ceasefire. Um, Despite this, the Iraqis were still pushed back around 400 miles. Uh, The only way um, the Iraqis were able to stop their advance was by letting fly with chemical weapons, as they normally do. Um, By now, the Iraqi chemical weapons development was as good as it would ever be and killed more Iranians than ever had before. Uh, There's 60% of all of the Iranian casualties. This also includes the Kurdish casualties from the offensive were from gas um, from this offensive. Yeah. And they still haven't got a lot of countermeasures for this. Now, uh, one of the ways, because remember, uh, Iraq's denying that they're using chemical weapons as dumb as that sounds Yeah. Um, one of the ways that uh, independent journalists found uh, to prove that they're using chemical weapons is they went to some of these battle sites and um, they found amongst thousands and thousands of dead Iranians was like uncountable tens of thousands of atropine injectors and for people not in the know atropine is the the most common uh, counteractive drug to use on the effects of chemical weapons is it like an EpiPen? Yeah, it's an auto injector. Uh, I don't. Okay. When I went through basic training, um, granted I'm old, so I went yeah, through back are. in 2005. Um, we were taught how to use those in our NBC class uh, for our like anti chemical weapon defense class. Um, we even taught like if you see a flash, just lay down on the ground and face away from it, and you'll be fine. Yeah. What? Yeah. Flash from what? <laughs> Nuclear weapon. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It made no sense. Um, if you see a flash, yeah. If you see the flash you're fucked. Just yeah, die. You're pretty much yeah, dead. You just die. But uh yeah, yeah. So you, you you're supposed to use an auto injector of atropine. Um it, it's not foolproof, but it'll help you not die from it. Now, it doesn't matter for a lot of these agents that Iraq is using are blister agents, so it doesn't matter. Your skin's oh. gonna blister up and pop and get disgusting anyway. Yeah. But uh blister agents generally don't kill you. It's the uh, it's the other ones that do. Imagine it would just suck. Yeah, yeah. It's awful. Yeah. It's, it's a horrible, like you go blind, uh, because your eyes fucking blister if you breathe it in you get blisters in your lungs it's 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 awful um that's why it's uh they're so terrifying is that there's a good chance you won't die from it but living through it's yeah. almost worse than dying your life will <laughs> suck yeah yeah um so that's how they the one of the ways they prove that yes iraq's using chemical web it's not that anybody really gave a shit everybody waved their hands on it um if you've been paying attention to this series so far, you know Saddam does not take anyone dissenting against him, let alone rising up against him. Um, this collaboration of the Kurds with the Iranian defenders Ooh. had not gone on had not gone unnoticed by Saddam. And he was waiting for his chance to get revenge on this population. That's juicy. And one of the chances was: well, now they're invading and attacking from Kurdistan. Uh, that is when the El Anfar. Uh, campaign was planned. Um, now, despite the fact that Iranians were taking over all this land, it actually gave the Iraqis an excuse to carry out something they've always wanted to do. Uh, that is to push Iraqi Kurdistan and Arabize uh, the area by force. Um, now, consider the Kurds and Iraqis have never got along. Uh, no. Different culture, different language. Um, different everything Uh, Kurds have always wanted their own independence and if you remember back to the first episode the Shah of Iran and his dad even uh, fomented unrest in the region Mm. one of the things Iraq has always wanted to do is get rid of the fucking Kurds Uh, they were going to send people in as settlers uh, get rid of the Kurds uh, root out their culture and one of the best ways of doing that was by killing them all and that's how they started Um, so they were going to kill, rape, and loot until they no longer had a minority settled at their northern border. Uh, the operation was planned by Ali Hussein al-Majid, who is Saddam's cousin, and who would actually eventually go on to be known as Chemical Ali and be arrested by American forces in 2003. Ooh. Yeah, he would be hung
1: with, I, I, with right, Saddam. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, he was also the Secretary General of the Ba'athist Party's northern region, meaning Kurdistan. It was his region to be in charge of. Okay. And because uh the way the Iraqi army is, um, being the secretary party general means you're effectively military commander as well. Uh, generally, the uh, Iraqi army would push into a Kurdish area and uh, just go wild. Uh, Al-Majid told his forces that stealing everything, including taking Kurdish women, was totally legal. Any military-aged males were thrown in concentration camps and where torture and execution was widespread and common. Saddam and his cousin decided the best way to take out pockets of Peshmerga fighters, which Peshmerga is... Um, uh, the Kurdish army, effectively. I know there's going to be some that's not an exact explanation of Peshmerga. Just know that they're the North, they're Iraqi Kurdistan's army, effectively. Uh, the best way to get rid of them was by raining down chemical weapons on them rather than committing ground forces into an area. So remember, they had to save those, those ground forces for fighting the Iranians. Yeah, what little, uh, I'm sure they had. Um, which brings us to a small town known as Halabja, on March 16th, 1988, an attack began that would last for five hours. It began with conventional rockets and napalm attacks, followed by helicopters and jets uh, doing low-lying airstrikes of chemical weapons in one of the residential city areas of the city. Survivors said that first white smoke, then black, and then yellow began coming from the bombs and washing over the city in a cloud that would rise nearly 150 feet tall. One survivor said, quote, I saw things I won't forget as long as I live. It started with a loud, strange noise that sounded like bombs exploding and a man came running into our house shouting, gas, gas. We hurried into our car and closed its windows. I think the car was rolling over bodies of innocent people that died in the streets. I saw people lying on the ground, vomiting a green colored liquid while others became hysterical and began laughing loudly before falling motionless onto the ground. Later, I smelled an, an aroma that reminded me of apples and I lost consciousness. When I awoke... There are hundreds of bodies scattered all around me. After I took shelter again in a nearby basement, the area was engulfed by an ugly smell. It was similar to rotting garbage. Then it changed into sweet smell similar to that of apples again. And um, there's a particular nerve agent. I believe it's um, mustard or VX gas that mm-hmm. it, it has a sweet smell. So he was smelling something that definitely should have killed. That's him. fucking dark. Yeah. Holy shit. Another said, quote, our loved ones. Your friends, you see them walking around and falling like leaves to the ground. It's a situation that cannot be described. Birds began falling from their nests, then other animals, then humans. It was total annihilation. Whoever was able to walk out of town, left on foot. Whoever had a car, left by car. But whoever had too many children to carry on their shoulders, they stayed in town and succumbed to the gas. Almost immediately, Iranian doctors and journalists were on the scene, spreading the news as fast as they could a British ITV film crew was also on the ground very quickly. Um, and there's actually a lot of videos and pictures of this in- incident. Um, and uh, the only medical care that was rendered to the few survivors that got gas was by Iranian military.
1: Did um, they
0: have any, like, what is it? Did they have anything to help with that? Uh, if they uh, if they caught them fast enough, they could give them atropine. Um, other than that, I mean, a lot of the people that were wounded by the gas did not survive. Uh, because it's just so far away from getting like the critical medical care that that you need to survive something right. like that, um, so almost immediately, like I said, uh, journalists were on scene. One of them was a guy named uh, Kava Golston. He was an Iranian journalist, and he said, "quote It was life frozen. Life had stopped, like watching a film, and so that it suddenly hangs on one frame. It was a new kind of death to me. The aftermath was worse." They had 15 or 16 beautiful children begging us to take them to a hospital. So all the press sat there as we were handed a child each to carry as we took off fluid came from my little girl's mouth and she died in my arms. So now the entire world knows about this. This is not a secret. Almost immediately. This is on every news channel. Um, It was probably one of the dumbest things that I'm could have done. Even if it's something he had weird, gross dictator dreams about. Uh, So like, how the hell would he defend this? He blamed Iran. Uh, How'd that go? Better than you'd think. Really? (laughs) Uh, So Iraqi foreign minister Tariq Aziz, who we've talked about briefly before, said, quote, there's no use of chemical weapons and no necessity of using them. And he called the thousands of dead Kurds chemical martyrs. He claimed that these dead Kurds were martyrs of Iraq because they were killed by Iran, when in reality they were victims of an Iraqi genocide. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, That's like calling the Jews in the death camps like glorious (laughs) martyrs to the motherland. (laughs) Uh, Clearly, the international community, which, remember, had been supplying and helping Iraq build its chemical weapons infrastructure, did not believe them, right? You must be new to the show. Hi. Uh, So American intelligence suggested that it was totally an Iranian attack or in the worst case scenario, Iraqi uh, the Iraqi forces did not know it is a civilian area. What the fuck? Now this is absurd. Remember, we're talking about a city in Iraq. Of course yeah. Iraq knows it's a it's a it's a city. Um and there's very little chance that the US did not know what what exactly was happening there. Remember, the US had been supplying Iraqi forces with satellite images to guide their airstrikes for years. And it's not like they had a feed um going straight to Iraq. Yeah. This intelligence was forwarded to uh, uh, like foreign at- attaches, and then it was given to the Iraqis. Sometimes the Iraqis would ask for it, certain areas, things like that, and then they would be given to them. There had to be a request for information on this area for, to an American source who then got it for them and then gave it back and then saw what happened. Uh, so – uh, this included uh, – so the the, so the the things that they were supplying, the the, fi- the videos, the the photos, uh, all, all, all the recon, uh, that also include Iranian positions during operations of year seven. Right. Um, according to a uh, declassified CIA document from the time, the U.S. knew Saddam was using chemical weapons as far back as 1983. By the late 80s, it was so accepted that the Iraqis were using banned weapons that Air Force Colonel Rick Francola, who was one of those military attaches I told you about in Baghdad at the time, said, quote, Iraqis never told us they were intended to use gas. They didn't have to. We already know they would. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And remember, we're also supplying them massive amounts yeah, of pesticides, are. which then are turned into chemical weapons. I'm pretty sure you could read between the lines. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's not that stretch of an imagination uh, to say that the same people that I uh, three years from the time of this genocide, when uh, the U.S. invaded during the Gulf War, uh, one of the things that people don't like talk about during the Gulf War was that uh, we told the Kurds to rise up against Saddam. So, rewind that three years. We are sponsoring their genocide. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's shitty. (laughs) Holy fuck. Uh, This will not be the last time America stars in a shitty act during this episode. (laughs) Oh, there's more. There's more. Cool. Uh, The British went one step further, accepting that it was totally Iraq. MI6 said Iraq did that on purpose, but also said, quote, Punitive measures, such as unilateral sanctions, would not be effective in changing Iraq's behavior over chemical weapons and would damage British interests to no avail. Dollar dollar bills, yeah. y'all. They wanted that oil. <laughs> this is really fucked up, dude. Also remember that the British had had a pretty big hand in uh, wanting the Islamic Revolution to fail. Uh, the Shah was their boy, and they need revenge on the Ayatollah. <sighs> So that probably has something to do with it as well. I guess they wanted to make that bread. Oh yeah. Uh, To make matters worse, no members of the international community stopped funding or arming Iraq in the aftermath of what is now known as the Anfal Genocide. The what? The Anfal Genocide. Okay. Um, The genocide of the Kurds in in Northern Iraq. Um, To make matters worse, um, I keep saying that, uh, but this actually went to the floor of the UN and... uh, it actually ended with, like, the vice president saying, uh, well, at the time was uh, George H.W. Bush, W.'s uh, mm-hmm. dad, um, arguing in favor of Iraq, still getting weapons, and everybody agreed with him. <laughs> what? Why?
1: It doesn't have to. I want to know how everybody believes that this is Iran doing this. Just because they don't like
0: him? Uh, mostly that. Uh, remember, they're the international boogeyman then, as they are today. I mean look in the news a week ago or a week from now, you'll see someone shit talking how we need, like there's senators in Congress right now that call us for bombing Iran. Uh, They've been the international boogeyman for years. And I'm not saying Iran uh, that, you know, the theocratic dictatorship of Iran is a good government. Right. I don't mean to make them sound like a good guy during this podcast, uh, but it's hard to make anybody sound bad next to Saddam Hussein. Oh yeah. (laughs) But, but nobody should, there shouldn't be any genocides. Yeah, there shouldn't. You know, that's one of those things that you say that uh, you you think it shouldn't be controversial. Yeah. But it is, apparently. Uh, so uh, because of that, the Iraqi forces were finally able to recapture the Alpha Providence province with a very little resistance from Iranian troops. Um, the Iranians were hardly able to hold on long enough to stop the Iraqis from reinvading the Kujistan for the second time of the war. Uh, soon, Iraqi forces were pushing the Iranians out of the south of the country for the first time since Operation Ramadan, the initial invasion of Iraq. The Ayatollah was terrified. Because uh, remember, not that long ago, Iran was winning. Yeah. Now they're getting their ass kicked. Uh, he ordered our pistachio boy to launch another counterattack. Uh, now they managed to drive six miles back into Iraq. Uh, but as always, Iran ran out of logistics, ran out of manpower, supplies, and they soon ran out of steam and re- retreated in defeat. I hope all his tactics had to do with something with a pistachio. Like, all right, we're going to crack the shell on this. Yeah.
1: Hope I just hope everything had to do with pistachios. Every time,
0: like a field grade officer says something, he's like, "That's quite nutty," and everybody's like, "Ugh, <laughs> like nut-based dad jokes." Yeah. Oh, Finger gunning everybody, like, dude, yeah, that's gross. Uh, the only thing they're able to do uh, during the offensive was symbolically bomb Saddam's presidential palace in Baghdad, and it really did nothing. It was like a moral victory. Yeah. Um, so Iraq instead pressed their advantage and launched five different operations called Trust in God. This, what? Yeah. This included retaking the Boratel of Salamcha and driving back into the marshes of insanity around the Majnun Islands. Um, they surrounded and destroyed the Iranian forces there, this time without using any ACME levels of bugfuck madness. Uh, <laughs> they just didn't have to. They're, I don't know if their corpse road was still in place, though. I wonder if like it when, probably the, probably was. when like, the Iranians took over the area, like they're like, this road's made out of our buddies, but it's already here. We don't have to build another <laughs> yeah. road. Sorry, Bill. Yeah. And then just drive the truck over him. There's a lot of potholes here. Yeah. Uh, Iraq kept pushing and once again reinvaded Iran and captured the town of Doloran, 19 miles over the border. Uh, then like a slap in the face and I'm shrugged and said, quote, I have no desire to conquer Iranian land and then pull his forces out. Uh, now this is fucking. Did
1: he go into border defense or something? Now,
0: or? This is just fucking lunacy because the whole goddamn point of the war is taking over Iranian territory. Yeah. But like, it, I. I think it's like, look what I can do and you can do nothing. Like, Saddam knew he wasn't going to drive in and take over Tehran. Like, it, Yeah. <laughs> it is around now that Iranian historian Keva Farouk notes that the Iranian military machine was totally broken and unable to continue. Like everything else in this war, though, things still managed to become worse. Sweet. So if you're going to pull something out of your hip pocket here, how does it get worse? See, we already got a genocide, which is already fucked up. Yeah. So, now, I will say honestly, this is not worse than a genocide, okay, but it, but cool, it is bad.
1: I don't know how you can get more than that. Um. Let's see. Child soldiers. Oh, those have been there since day one.
0: Okay, figured. All right. You know what? Go. <laughs> All right. So I got nothing. On the 3rd of July, a lot. I ran Air Flight 655, took off at 1017 local Only time, <laughs> being flown by 37-year-old Captain... Mosin Rezion, flying towards Dubai. Uh, The flight was something that happens dozens of times a day and only takes about 28 minutes. The flight would never reach its destination, however. Crewmen aboard the USS Vincennes, a U.S. Navy-guided missile cruiser, saw what they thought to be an F-14 jet coming in to attack them. So they opened fire. The ship fired two surface-to-air missiles, one of which hit the airliner, blowing it to pieces. Of the 290 passengers and crew aboard uh, aboard the flight, None would survive. Now, a passenger <coughs> planes look a lot like phantoms. Now, uh, the problem here, of course, is uh, that if it was a civilian airliner. Uh, the Vincennes was in the area because it was rushed to the theater uh, after the incident with the Stark that we talked about. Uh, the U.S. Navy decided that it happened because there was enough air defense. Uh, the Vincennes was going to supply that air defense. They had the new um, had a new air defense system and uh, it called the Aegis air defense system uh, for tech geeks out there. That's what they're using there when they call it like the robo ship or whatever, because it was so heavily computerized um, and that it was going to fill that gap. Uh, now American ships were definitely on edge at the time. There was the aforementioned attack on the Stark, even though that was an Iraqi jet, yeah. as well as multiple conflicts with Iranian gunboats. And uh, an American ship also had a sea mine, not that long ago. Uh, granted, that's like, you don't really have to be on edge for a sea mine. Yeah. You, just, you hit it or it you do Yeah. Uh, so that is about all the benefit of the doubt. I and most historians are willing to give the Vincennes crew and captain. Uh, that's where all that ends. As most of you know, planes, both military and civilian, carry something called transponders. Think of transponders as a digital name tag or something that lets the world know who you are. Right. Um. Flight 655 had a transponder, and it was set to mode 3, which is the civilian identifier for air travel. So if anybody, uh, I mean, I'm not a radar geek. I'm not a super tech geek. But the way uh, transponders work is, uh, say it's uh, the radar goes out, hits the plane. It's going to come back and read, okay, it's it's flying with a code 3 transponder. It's a civilian jet. That's how I understand it. I could be wrong. Makes sense. Yeah. So the Vincennes air radar Radar operators picked up a mode three transmission, meaning they knew it was a civilian airliner. Uh, Despite many crewmen and officers later lying under oath about that, actually, Um, the ship system did not lie. Uh, The thing about the Aegis combat systems, it records everything. Yeah, Uh, it recorded everything and proved the ship picked up and and was, in fact, a mode three transmission. To do one worse, the crew said the ship was coming into an attack, which mean it, the, the jet would be required to dive, uh, hypothetically to fire an Exocet anti-ship missile. Right. Uh, the ship system recorded that the jet was, in fact, climbing, as a civilian later probably would while climbing off yeah. from you know an airport. Uh, the, the Iran air jet was also transmitting radio traffic in English, as was custom over civilian air traffic control systems. The Vincennes crew only attempted to contact the jet via military frequencies, which they would not be monitoring. Uh, To find out just what the hell happened, the U.S. government investigation led by an Admiral William Fogarty pretty much danced around the issue at fault. Uh, Instead, they said that uh, while the Vincennes crew did do some fucked up shit, Iran should also share blame. What? How dare they let a civilian airliner fly over a combat zone? Here's the thing about that. It's literally happened every day out of that airport. Also, uh, this is despite the fact that uh, Iran was not at war with the United States and the jet was in Iranian airspace and the Vincennes was in Iranian waters. And uh, now the Fogarty report refuses to acknowledge that the ship was in Iranian waters, uh, but it was Uh, the Aegis and independent investigators show that it was in Iranian national waters. Did anybody get fucked up for this? Okay, so you're my co-host here. We've been doing the show for months. How do you think this ends? Oh, cool. <laughs> Sweet. Uh so uh Rogers, uh the captain of the ship, a guy named William Rogers, had a uh had a reputation for being overly aggressive and uh being uh what other officers called the combat-oriented, meaning always kind of looking for a fight. Uh they accused him of just trying to show off.
1: Is that an F-14 I see?
0: Close enough. Woo! So an independent investigation found that the Vincennes commander, William Rogers, was completely incompetent, and his crew was just as bad, if not worse, than he was. Uh, further investigation showed that Rogers was hyper-aggressive and routinely violated the rules of engagement he was supposed to be operating under. This included like, getting within a mile of Iranian ships just so he could shoot at them with his Aegis system. Yeah, he wasn't supposed to do that. Dude's a dick. Yeah. Um, on the floor of the UN, U.S. Vice President uh, George H.W. Bush... Defended the murder of nearly 300 civilians. Uh, he said that the uh, the ship or the ship acted as any other ship would, which is not what you should no. probably should say. Like
1: I would hate for every ship to act like that. <laughs> I really fucking would. Right, right. That'd be. I'm about to fly
0: somewhere. <laughs> Good luck. Fuck Jack. the Japanese <laughs> yeah. naval defense force is gonna fuck you up. Every ship reacts to this. Yeah. Um, so. Here's the depressing part. Ready for the depressing? Oh, part? more, yeah. Later, the entire crew of the ship was given combat action ribbons, and Rogers was awarded the Legion of Merit. His award, his award citation helpfully omitted the part about shooting down the civilian yeah. airliner. What? What were their points like? Well, how they how they write this? Well, uh, so they got around the combat action ribbons uh, by giving them for prior engagements, uh, but they also all kind of just hand wave yada yada their way through the fact they killed nearly 300 okay. innocent civilians and then blamed Iran and also this That's is cool. like this is this happened quite frequently during the cold war like someone freak out and shoot down a civilian airliner and every time it happened it was normally russia uh because uh, like they shot down a japanese airliner uh Shit like that. I think they shut down a Korean one as well. And every time the United States like condemned them on the floor of the UN. So this time around the Soviet Union took the chance of like <laughs> in your face, bitches. <laughs> this is my chance. Yeah. Yeah. They took it too. They just dragged them constantly for it. I know I would. Uh, So with that, the war will go back to the ground uh, where everything is getting awful. Er, uh, er, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Iran was uh, now losing everywhere except in Kurdistan. Uh, Saddam saw his upper hand and began to threaten to launch another full-scale invasion of Iran. Uh, and there's actually a, a decent argument to be made that it may have succeeded. Uh, Iran is pretty bad at the moment. Um, he also made more threats to gas and bomb Iranian cities. Uh, since his uh, his prior threats are proven true, this caused a widespread panic in Iranian cities and people began to flee for their lives. Uh, and by now, the Iranian leadership knew that the international community had no intention of stopping uh, the Iraqi usage of chemical weapons. And they knew in many cases they were helping them Yeah. to make matters worse. The Iranian government and population now believe that the U S is ready to take part in full scale war after shooting down the, uh, the uh, civilian airliner. Uh, so not, I mean, if they thought they could continue holding off Iraq, they knew they were fucked. If like now the U S invades yeah. or whatever, um, finally, the Iranian government saw the writing on the wall uh, President, Commander-in-Chief Pistachio Boy, pleaded with Ayatollah to accept a ceasefire with Iraq, telling him in order to even continue the war, let alone win it, civilian expenditure would have to increase by 700% of the nation's entire gross gross domestic product, which which is really fancy words for it's impossible. The Ayatollah accepted UN Resolution 598 bitterly, the ceasefire of Iraq. Uh, in a live radio broadcast of the country, he called he called the ceasefire a, quote, poisoned chalice because he still wanted to continue the what war. The fuck? <laughs> he, he just wanted to. You know, you know, the best way to find out that you have no kind of revolutionaries in your country is just to kill your entire country through human wave attack. Uh, uh, yeah. The end boy. of the war was greeted with celebration in the streets of Baghdad. Well, uh, Iranians are pretty somber as they didn't really know, which is weird. Uh, I think there had been so long since Iran had actually been invaded to start the war that they kind of forgot that this is supposed to be a defensive war. And they saw themselves as losing, even though, I mean, I
1: feel like Iraq didn't accomplish. anything. no, they didn't. No,
0: they didn't invade their country.
1: They They didn't completely fuck them up.
0: No, I mean, if anything, it made Iran stronger. Yeah. I mean, not that that's how anybody wants to go around and solidify no, their yeah. power base, but like, you know, Saddam invading the young revolutionary republic, it, it, it binded the, the pretty fractious country together and kept the Ayatollah in power for sure. Uh, so it, it, it was counter to Saddam's own goals, which is honestly on brand for Saddam. Okay. Um, so, both forces withdrew to pre-war boundaries set by the 1975 Algiers Agreement. If you remember, that's the same agreement both sides withdrew from to begin the war all the way back in 1980. Nice. Uh, so, I looked over quite a few different um, casualty estimates. And uh, the only thing I can do is give an educated guess like anybody else. Yeah. Um, Iran lost about 600,000 people. Okay. Uh, there are still bodies being found in the areas that contain the heaviest fighting. And uh, the exposure to chemical weapons would go on to cause tons of medical issues in the nearly 52,000 people thought to be hurt from them. Um, and also those chemical weapons and the like secondary exposure from them, because this shit sticks around for a while, would go on to cause birth defects and kill people right. uh, from diseases and illnesses and injuries years down the road. Um, Iran is still dealing with a fuckload of uh, pretty fucked up veterans from the war uh, from various different horrible illnesses that spawn in a human body after being gassed. Oh,
1: yeah, I would imagine. Yeah.
0: Um, while there's a ceasefire in place, there was not a peace treaty. That's important. Uh, neither side would come to terms over Saddam's insistence that he still controlled the shot al-Arab waterway, which is another reason why the war began. Uh, he demanded sovereignty over it uh, because this neither side would return the other's POWs. <laughs> Of which there was tens of thousands. Um, it was only in 1990 that the majority of the POWs were finally released, two years after the Holy war. Fuck. Some, however, remained behind bars all the way until 2003. Holy shit. Yeah. Saddam refused to give some of them up. And uh, when Saddam's government fell, the new government's like, oh, we still get some of these Iranian POWs. <laughs> yeah. um, it was only when Saddam saw the Gulf War looming uh, in the, uh, a year later that he ceded half of the shot al-Arab to Iran because what he was worried about was um, if war kicked off with Kuwait that the Iranians would take their chance to finally fuck his shit up again yeah. because this whole time Iran knew that there was no peace treaty they need, the to re- they need to rearm yeah. so Iran is rapidly rearming while Saddam is broke as fuck sweep the legs and uh, there's a good there's a good reason to believe uh, if the Gulf War came around again and he didn't make those overtures to to Iran, that Iran would have actually teamed up to fuck up Iraq. Now, I don't know if to be able to swallow the poison pill of, of working with the United States, because you know this is two years away from that. Yeah. Trying to destroy a little, them. A little bad blood. Yeah. Um, and uh, so after he ceded uh, all that to Iran, it would actually not be until Saddam invaded Kuwait uh, that the rest of the world would officially acknowledge that Iran started the war. Ooh. So all hmm. the all the way up until then, everybody so, for some reason just like blamed Iran for just sitting there yeah. and being
1: invaded. Like, how dare you, sir?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: How dare you sit in your country? Yeah. It shouldn't have been dressed that way. Uh, this is uh I'm really having a hard time trying to like even talk about this, just because of how fucking shit stacks up on shit. It gets and worse.
0: Just, oh, okay, cool. Um, All right. Th- this uh, so if there's one bright side, actually, it's not a bright side. So um, it's not a no ice cream. No, there's still no ice cream here. Um, so much like uh, World War One led directly to World War Two. The Iran-Iraq war led directly to the Gulf War, which led directly to the American invasion in 2003. And the reason for that is, uh, remember all those massive loans that Iraq had been taking out from Kuwait? Yeah. Well, now the war's over. Kuwait expects to be paid back. Tens and tens of billions of dollars are owed. The problem is, uh, Saddam took one look at his economy and saw it was totally fucked. Um, His oil infrastructure was fucked. Uh, His Everything was destroyed. Uh, He has... Suddenly hundreds of thousands of wounded veterans to try to take care of, which he didn't. Uh, he has this military to try to build back together, which he kind of did that. <laughs> um, so he in response, he asked for Kuwait to forgive most, if not all, of his debt. Um, and then they would continue trading like nothing ever happened. Yeah. Kuwait refused. I would imagine. Uh it's so, a lot of money. Right. And uh so Saddam. Uh, Would instead go to OPEC, which is uh, like the cartel that controls oil prices, uh, to beg everybody in OPEC to stop their oil production or slow their oil production down, which would make the price of oil go up. Meaning it would be easier for them to sell oil at a high price and pay their debts back. Right. Everybody in OPEC agreed, except Kuwait. (laughs) (laughs) Kuwait's fucking giving them that stiff arm. Yeah. Yeah. so – and it's interesting that um, – so one of Saddam's beliefs that he had actually had for quite a while that Kuwait was uh, was supposed to be part of Iraq. And Kuwait's a really small country and holds a lot of oil wealth in comparison to a big country like Iraq. So this whole time like on the down low, Saddam wanted to fuck Kuwait shit up and, and take it over. Right. And this gave him a reason was because like, well, if I don't, they're literally going to fucking bankrupt me to death Like is let me – and, uh so it was with that on August 2nd 1990 that Iraqi forces surged over the border with their tiny neighbor starting the gulf War and beginning the long downfall of Saddam Hussein which would later hang for his crimes against the Kurdish population and the endfall of genocide I wouldn't and, and that's that. our series like, <laughs> what a terrible series <laughs> <laughs> uh you know it, it's a, it's funny because um us well, not funny it's awful uh Kuwait would fall in about two days, um, yeah, and then Iraq would fall in about seventy-two hours. But uh, the result of that war was uh, the infrastructure because the U.S. expected a much longer war with Iraq. Like if you look back at news articles of the time, they expected war, like him to let loose of chemical weapons and and expect tens of thousands of casualties. So they attacked what was left of his infrastructure from the Iraq War that Iran hadn't already destroyed. So like Iraq, and not not only was their military completely annihilated in, in the invasion, and the and mostly the airstrikes, right? But uh, the country was completely fucked from then on forward. And then for some reason we invaded them again in two thousand three. So yeah, yeah. I, I still like the whole all the moving parts
1: for the the first Gulf War. Like there are so many so much moving parts going on, like between the
0: navy, the army, and the marines. You it know, it almost wasn't needed. Well, I think they. I think they overestimated Saddam. They did. Because, I mean, they knew exactly what he had because we gave it to him. <laughs> they kept, like I said in the last episode, you ever watch Dave Chappelle when he had uh yes. Paul Mooney on? Yes. They're like, <laughs> what, why did we know Iraq had weapons of mass destruction because we kept the receipts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, same real. Like, well, he has divisions and divisions of tanks because we gave them to him. Like, oh, yeah. Good point. Um But yeah, uh, the the Iran-Iraq War—not what I expected going into it. I I knew I knew probably about as much about the Iran-Iraq War as most lay people. It's not what I studied in in college. Um, I'm not a a scholar of Middle Eastern war history, but uh, after you telling me about it, I
1: knew—I guess a little bit more than what I or like. I didn't know that all this was the Iran-Iraq War essentially.
0: Yeah. And that's like, a lot of things like people know about bits and pieces, right? But they don't know how it's all tied together. Like they know about, the uh, the embassy siege in England. They don't know that was tied to Saddam. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Um, they know about the, the Iran air shootdown, but they're like, they just kind of gloss over the fact of why was the U S there in the first place? Um, people know about the all and fall genocide and the, the Halabja massacre, but they don't know that was also part of the Iran Iraq war. Um, it's an inter- it really interesting point of history. And, uh, Mother of God! Did it slip away from me? I did not think this would go five parts, <laughs> technically six. Um, and eventually, we uh, we were going to do uh, the, the Iran Contra uh, scandal because that's definitely involved, and I and I really wanted to make it part of the series, but just the, the parts didn't line up, and I just didn't have enough time you know what, just to get it on recording. How many how many parts do you think you are going to get out of that Iran Contra? Maybe one good long one. One good long one. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Because I feel like it's going to be more. It could be. It could be another five-part series for sure. But, you know, we're not a diplomatic podcast. A lot of that's like behind-the-back diplomacy type shit, uh, which, sure, it's really interesting for for me to go into. Uh, There's actually a really good podcast that does stuff like that called When Diplomacy Fails. Check them out if you're into that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, I had a a lot of fun um, researching this. At the same time, I did not think it was going to absorb a month of my life.
1: <laughs> and on such short notice, finish this part.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I knew I had another part, but, you know, a lot of people don't know we record about two weeks out now. It, when, when it's perfect, we record about two weeks out. So I recorded with Tom when he was here last week. Uh, but we also already had part three in the, in the boat at the time. So I'm like, well, fuck, I have two weeks to yeah. write part five. Uh, and then Nick is like, I'm going to Japan. And, uh, this is the same weekend where I have 25 pages of paper due for, for college. And, uh, I, I, thankfully I ha- like a month ago when I mapped out this series, I had picked out all the sources. Uh, the only thing you have to do is pick out what you want, put it on paper, turn it into a script. I'd do all that last night. So about <laughs> about a, about a it really about a day and a half. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, but I'm happy with it. I'm really happy with the series. Um, it'll be our last series for a while, at least until you get back. Um, but I look forward to covering the smaller bigger failures in history going forward the one off episodes we have a lot of good ones already recorded for you guys Um, I'm gonna have to uh, pull in some guests while Nick's out of town but uh, I I can't wait to come back yeah yeah. so until then and until what December we'll talk to you (laughs) hopefully
1: they're thinking of delays and oh my
0: god yeah Uh, well I'll see you guys next week Nick will see you sometime in 2019. Hopefully. Bye. Hi, this is Nate Bethay, and I'm the producer of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. This show is brought to you by Audible. And as it just so happens,
1: Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to
0: audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys and browse the selection of audio programs. Download his title for free and start listening. Once again, that's
1: www.audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys to get started.